morning, everybody. Thanks, Matt. So once again, John is being a slacker. Oh, I'm kidding, guys. No, John, we're glad you're back. I know it sucks that you uh, had to go through all that, but uh, I hope you'll be back next week. All right, so we're going to continue this uh, kind of, I guess it's a mini-series now, since it's inside of the vision series, of Barriers to Vision. Uh, last week we talked about, you know, the judgmental attitude and being judgmental, and this uh, kind of goes along with that. And we're going to talk about the barrier of exclusivism today. Um, I think this is something that, while not necessarily prevalent in our church, I think is prevalent in a lot of churches, and I think that it's something that could hinder our ability to accomplish the vision that um, John is going to be laying out for us in the next couple weeks. Um, So when we talk about exclusivism, there's two aspects of it, two aspects of exclusivism. So you have within the church, um, Christian to Christian, um, then you have the external aspect of it, which is, you know, the church, uh, the Christian to the unbeliever. And we'll talk a little bit about, about, about each of those. Um, now, in some ways, exclusivism is a good thing. Um, in some ways, we are called to be exclusive. You know, God has called us to be set apart. Um, we are the only ones, you know, Christians are the only ones that have the absolute truth. Um, Jesus says this in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, we're set apart. We're called to reach the lost. We're called to be set apart and different, but not set apart as in isolated and excluded, excluding other people. Um, our truth, though, is exclusive. It's exclusive in that it claims to be the only way uh, to be able to go to heaven, to be able to um, be saved. Um, and so truth, by definition, is exclusive. To deny such is to affirm it at the same time. I really like that, that statement there. I don't know if you just kind of think about it, but truth, by definition, is exclusive. To deny such is to affirm it at the same time. If you say that truth is not exclusive, you're making a truth claim at the same time. Um, so in that way, we are supposed to be exclusive in that our faith and our um, salvation is the only way. Um, and it's been given to us, and we need to tell people about that. So, you know, what, in what ways are we exclusive? In what way are Christians exclusive? You know, sometimes we can be exclusive in who we talk to. Um, human beings are built with this tendency and this want to have a relationship and this desire to connect with people. Um, and so, as such, we just have this tendency to want to gravitate to people that we have a connection with um, or people that we connect with and um, have a relationship with. Um, and the problem with that, though, is that as we tend to gravitate toward those people that we have a connection with, we start to maybe forget about the other people. We kind of focus just on those people that we connect with. And that can lead to exclusivism. That can lead to groups forming where some other people are not you know, included. Fellowship is a good thing. It's a great thing. We just have to be careful that we don't isolate anyone uh, within our church. You know, if a new believer is coming here, and they don't feel included, they feel isolated, they're going to have a tendency to want to leave because they're going to go somewhere else where they do get that connection, where they get that, that feeling of inclusivism in their lives. And even worse, they might not just go to another church. They might quit going to church altogether um, because they don't feel that inclusion. They don't feel that part of their life. And if that happens, then you have somebody out there who is a new Christian who doesn't know how to interpret God's word and is going to fall into all kinds of false doctrines and problems and... Um, that type of thing. So we need to make sure that we 
we're careful in that. You know, I think about it too. I'm guilty of that. Like at the end of service when I'm done, I know who I'm going to go talk to. It's going to be Jeremy or Matt or probably my grandparents if they were here, but they're not here for some reason. Um, you know, I'm just guilty of that same thing. There's, but we have to be careful of that. We need to make sure that we're not being exclusive in who we talk to. Sometimes we can be exclusive in our, in our ministries. Um, I know I am. I was a lot. When I first started the ministry in the Philippines, it was very difficult for me to um, open that up. I wanted to be careful who was going to be touching the computer because I didn't want them to mess it up. I was going to be careful who I worked with because, man, that person really annoys me. I don't really want to train them. Um, you know, I was just really closed-minded, I guess you would say. But something I learned, though, is this in 1 Corinthians 12, 18-20. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, there were, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The truth is we all have a role in the church. And sometimes for new believers, they might not know what that role is. Um, and we shouldn't be exclusive in that. We shouldn't keep them from trying out something. Um, Joy, what was your first ministry? And then what was next? Yep. And then what else? And what was that? What was the one that you really liked? Yeah. She had to go through a bunch of different ministries first before she could find what God had really called her to and what she was really built for. Um, and I learned that as I started letting people into our ministry, into the tech ministry, and training them and building them up, you know, I found people that I didn't realize that they would have the cognitive capacity, that they would have the ability to do some of those things were actually really good, and God actually gifted them in that area. So we shouldn't be exclusive in our ministries. We need to make sure that these new believers are serving. We have to give them a place to serve. So we can't be exclusive and not have a place for them to try out their, their abilities and learn to serve. Um, you know, like I know, Matt, we don't want to have... Somebody needs to know how to play an instrument if they're going to get up there. Don't get up there if you don't know what you're doing at all. But... Um, we should still give the opportunity. Um, sometimes we can be exclusive in who we fellowship with. You know, outside the church, as Christians, we're supposed to fellowship with other Christians. Um, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. You know, just like with the talking, talking in the church, you know, we tend to have our group of friends outside the church. Um, that we go out and do things with, we hang out with, and because that's just because that's who we connect with. Those are people that um, we have that connection with, and that's okay. That's not a problem. The problem, though, is that if we have all these other people in the church that aren't having that fellowship because they aren't included. Um, you know, sometimes I've thought this with other people in our small groups before in the Philippines, and people will be like, "But Ben, I don't want to invite them. They're annoying. They talk too much. Blah 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 blah." You know, that's ridiculous. I mean, we're called to love one another. And if you can't, how can you love an unbeliever if you can't even love your fellow Christian for 10 minutes or long enough to have a meal with them? You know, I encourage all my team members uh, in the Philippines to have what we call an open house policy. Um, so our house in the Philippines was always open. I know this is not an American thing. I know it's a very difficult thing for Americans. They want to have their privacy. They want to have you know, their space, but, like, I had a third floor in the Philippines in our house, and uh, it was just open all the time. I had no idea who was going to be there. We had people come over 
when their houses were flooded. We had people come over when they were struggling there with something that day. We had people that came over when they just wanted to have some American food, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. There was days I'd come home, we'd have 20 people at my house, and I had no idea who some of them were. Some other people had brought them over. But people in my church knew that my house was open um, and that we were there, you know, for them. Um, and I know that's difficult here, but, you know, some people do actually do a good job of it. Tamara's great. She leaves her house unlocked all the time. I just go in there, get cookies, even when she's not even home. So if you need cookies, go to Tamara's house. Exclusive in who we fellowship with. Exclusive in our outreach. This is a difficult one. Um, sometimes we can be choosing who we witness to just because we don't want to ruin a relationship um, or we're afraid of what's going to happen if we witness to this person. Um, you know, we might not invite everybody. Think about it. when you have an event here at the church, who do you invite? Do you invite just those people that you think will come? Or do you invite everybody who's in your sphere of influence? Um, what about, you know, evangelistic outreach? So like in the Philippines, we would invite people over to our house to have dinner, non-Christians. We'd invite them over so that we could have an opportunity to share the gospel. I mean, I don't think we do that here in the U.S. very often, but maybe we should. Maybe we should invite our neighbors over that we know aren't saved and we know don't have a church and have that opportunity uh, to witness to them. Whenever we limit whom we reach out to, we've already sent that person to hell. You ever think about that? If you limit who you're reaching out to, who you're trying to evangelize, then you've already given them that sentence of hell. Yeah, maybe somebody else will come along and teach them that, you know, share the gospel with them. But what if it was supposed to be you? What if you're the only person that they'll ever meet that has the truth? We should not be exclusive in our outreach. Romans 1.16 says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel's for everyone. Everyone needs salvation, and every Christian needs a church home. So why? I mean, why do you think that human beings... And Christians, you know, sometimes have this difficulty of being exclusive. Um, there's three things that I think really define that. Fear. You know, people like to be comfortable. Um, and just being used to what they're used to, I mean, they don't want to go outside of their comfort zone. They don't want to change things up. They're just afraid to do different things. And so they end up doing things the same way that they've always done them. Um, I mean, look at Friends. You guys know the TV show Friends? Ten years, same people, nothing changed, no new friends, nobody left the group. I mean, they're in their comfort zone. I mean, sometimes it's control. You know, sometimes we don't want to give up control, especially in our ministry. I mean, if we have our ministry and we think it's, you know, perfect the way it is, we don't necessarily want to give up control and let anybody else come into that. I had that problem in the Philippines. I wanted to control my ministry. Um, and it wasn't until I really let go of that control and relinquished that control that God came in and blessed it, and God took it in to a whole new level. Um, pride. You know, this goes back to last week. You know, sometimes we think we're better than another person, that our ministry is more important than another ministry. I call it the milkshake mentality. You guys know that song? My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Mm -mm. It's better than yours. You know? The milkshake mentality. Some of you guys get that. Some of you guys are like, I don't know what that song is. That's unholy. I don't listen to that. 
Those are the things that make us exclusive. So how do we overcome that? I mean, as Christians, what can we do to overcome this barrier of exclusivism in our church, especially as, as the vision is, is implemented in our church and we see the church starting to grow? We need to be able to overcome that. First of all, it's love one another. Let's read some of these verses. John thirteen thirty four. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. First Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 John 4.11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 3.11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And there's literally like 30 verses more in the Bible that says love one another, if you ever look it up. Do you think it's important then? It's in there so many times. You know, if we truly love one another, if we have that, that love in our church where we're loving one another, and I think we do, you know, we'll see God really bless us. No one will feel excluded in our church. New believers that come in will see that love um, and just feel welcomed. And that's what we want. We want to have that atmosphere of love so that we can accomplish the vision and goals that God has given our church. We have to serve in unity. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You know, if we're all working together, we're all doing our part. Like I said earlier, you know, we each have our role in the church. If we're all doing that role, if we're working, and the church is growing then we have new roles that are opening up. And so as these new believers come in, we have a place for them to serve. Um, we have a place for them to, to work and serve in unity. And as we're working together and we realize this, this single goal, this single vision for the church, it just creates that unity. It, pre it prevents exclusivism from ever taking a foothold in the church when you're serving together. And this last one, this is, an, this is a lot longer. This is more important, I think. This is the last... Uh, how do we overcome it? Strive for community. Strive for community. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This passage, this section in Acts is so cool to me. It's such a, it's just something that we really need to strive and work for. If you read it, it's just this total sense of community, and not in the sense of like the Jonestown community, like the sense of just absolute community with one another. Um, you know, it's something, something I see in there. It says that day by day, those were, there was numbers being added to them day after day. I think that what they had was so different, so unique, and such a shining example into the world at that time that people were coming there just to see what was going on. And that's why it was so easy for them to grow their church and add to their number. That and, of course, preaching the gospel. You know, there was true unity no one was excluded. You know, something that's not something that we see necessarily in churches today, but 
One part in there, it says, having favor with all people. How crazy is that? Having favor with all people in your church? Like everybody just liking everybody and not even, you know, no problems, no fighting, no politics, none of that stuff. How cool is that? You know, in our churches in the Philippines, we're not perfect either. I mean, we strive for that community and we want to have that, that unity and everything in our church, but there's still going to be infighting and there's still going to be politics and stuff like that because we're humans and we still sin. But one thing that we do use in the Philippines, a tool that we use to overcome this and to help us have that community and strive for that community uh, is the small group. So we're going to talk a little bit about the small group. The small group is a tool, just a tool. It's a tool that we use to build the community, a place where believers can have uh, these four things. A place for growth. Um, Acts 5.42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Small groups should be a place to learn something, to grow, to learn something new about God's word. Um, you know, in our small groups in the Philippines, we make sure that they have the materials to do their small group. So what they do is they have questions that um, coincide with what the message was last Sunday. And so it allows these groups to take that into their group and discuss deeper some of the truths that were presented in the Sunday service. Um, it allows them an opportunity to ask questions. If there was something that they didn't understand during the message, if there was something that didn't make sense to them, they have this group of believers around them that can help them understand that better and help them grow. Um, small groups should be intentionally doing something spiritually. You know, In your small group, go through a book series. Go through a video series. Um, do a word study. Do something that will help you grow together spiritually because if you're not adding that component into your small group the biblical growth component then you're just getting together and eating and well that's cool and fun I think small groups really are there to help us grow spiritually small groups are a place for encouragement first Thessalonians 5:11. therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing you know small groups are great it's a great place that you can go and just be encouraged um, if you're struggling with something that week or you're just having a really bad week, when you go to your small group, you have all these Christians around you and these friends that can build you up and edify you and, and just help you get through the week. That's why I really like, um, like in the Philippines, we really like to have our small group, you know, midweek. It's great to have something midweek just to get you through the week and get you to the next Sunday, you know. Not that we can't do it alone, but it's just so much easier to have somebody there to help you through the week and just to encourage you. Small group should be a place also for accountability. You know, small group is a place um, where if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, they should be holding you accountable. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone... Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's better to be together. It's better to have that community. It's better to be with other believers that can help you and keep you accountable. You know, small group is probably not the, the place to confess your deepest, darkest secrets. And, you know, don't confess love for the pastor's daughter or anything like that in a small group. But it is a place where you can say, look, I'm struggling with reading the Bible this week. Um, and, you know, that small group 
could each send that person a verse that week. Somebody in the small group, each one of them could send a verse to him by text or something like that. And in that way, they're holding that person accountable and helping him um, to do his you know, daily study of God's word. It's a place for accountability. It should be a place for fellowship. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. It has to be a place where we can openly talk about what's going on in life, what's going on in the church, um, a place where you can bounce ideas off of each other, find out what's worked for you in your life, and find out what's not worked in somebody else's life so that you can, you can you know, have that fellowship. Um, you can share wins. You can share losses. It's a place where you can live together. Um, as much as I hate the cliche saying, it's doing life together. You know, you see that on all these mugs and stuff like that, you know. It's, it is about doing that. You know, it's about living your life together with other believers and having that sense of community um, and just being able to sharpen each other. You know, if we love one another, if we serve together, fellowship together, a united church develops naturally. A united vision is realized with each person working together to fill his vision, to fill the vision. Exclusion of new believers and even the lost disappears and God will bless us. You know, if we can do those things, you know, I, I've talked about this before and I've said this every week. I think that God is planning something big for this church. And I think that God's going to bless us if we do these things. We have to make sure that we have an atmosphere of community in the church. Um, do I think that Shawnee Heights has failed in that? No, I don't. Do I think that we could do better? Yeah. How many of you guys here um, go to a small group? Let me see your hands. All right, that's pretty good. That's about half of the people that are here. Um, so those of you that didn't raise your hand, this week we're going to do, we have some calls to action, some things that I want you to challenge you to do. This week, if you are not in a small group, guess what? You can join one. Um, right now I think we have two small groups that are going on. Um, so that's probably not enough to cover everybody. So we need somebody else to step up and start a new small group. So I want you guys to pray about that. Think about starting a new small group. If you're in a community and you don't have a small group yet, um, but you think that you could lead one or you think that God is calling you to lead one, we want you to do that. And so I want you to come talk to me or talk to Pastor John um, about starting a new small group because I think everybody should be involved in that. I think these small groups, while it's just a tool, it really does help the community in the church. It does help us to have that unity um, as we all work towards this common vision. Today, you know, we talked about being exclusive in who we talk to. Talk to somebody else after church today. Pick somebody that you haven't normally talked to and go talk to them. Say hi. You know, kind of like what we just did earlier, but maybe have an actual conversation. Invite someone to hang out, you know, this week. Invite someone to hang out with, the, with you outside of church. Somebody that you normally don't hang out with. Somebody else in the church. You know, go see a movie. Eat some food. We love to eat food. Come on. It's just a good excuse to eat some more food. But have that community. Let's not be an exclusive church. Let's have that, that atmosphere and attitude of community, guys. Let's pray, Lord. And Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day. And we just thank you for your word, God. And we thank you for everything that you've done for us and that you continue to do, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would be with everyone this week and that you would uh, help them be a light for you, Lord. That you would help them to reach out to their communities and those in their spheres of influence, God. And that you would uh, be with this church, Lord. I know that you have big plans for us, 
Lord, and just uh, help us realize those things and, and implement them here in, in, in the church, Lord. We just praise you, God, and we thank you for everything you've done in your name. Amen.